0: Right, everyone, welcome back to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on May 28th, 2021. Got a lot to dive into. I know normally we start with uh, the Twins, um, who have kind of been the team that we usually kind of get rolling with here. But we're going to dive right in to the Minnesota Wild here. I think it's, uh, you know, obviously very fitting because it's game seven today. Um, I After the first game, I was like, OK, this series has the feel that's going to go into seven games. The Wild dominated Vegas in the regular season, but now you're in the postseason. Things tighten up. Vegas has been a team that's made a couple deep postseason runs, Um, so they, you know, it it was just it had that feel. And then after the first four games, you're like, or not? It looks like the Wild are about to uh, get their bags packed as soon as they got them ready. Um, So, and then they come back. They they win these games. They get themselves in a in a great position. In you know, they squeak through game five in uh they sneak through game five in Vegas and then they get back to the X, they flex their muscle, they show that they are willing to take it to a game seven. And not only that, that this is going to be a competitive game seven. Now they're going back to Vegas for this, but I, I was just talking to people before, um, game six. As I said, you gotta win this game. It's on your home ice. And the best part about winning this game is is anything can happen in game seven. Just like we learned in game one, all you need is kind of just a fluky goal um, and it really can set the table for you. So I think that it's super important that the Wild um, are playing Game Seven here. I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think it's uh, just super important for them. They are going to have a tough matchup. I mean, Mark Andre Fleury has been phenomenal so far this series. We've seen Capriza. Uh, on the Wild side, kind of, you know, he took his kind of beatings in his first couple games. Now it looks like they're kind of finding their stride. It looks like they kind of are figuring things out. Kevin Fiala had a great game last game, really showed some confidence, got an assist, got a goal. Um, everything's just clicking right now for the Wild, at least in the last two games respectively. So I think that um, when you know you look at that, but I think the real series MVP so far, if the Wild win, and, and I'm not sure if they give series, series MVPs for the first round, but if they did, my series MVP would have to be Cam Talbot. I mean, this guy's been phenomenal. And I know I've said his praises throughout the season. i said he's been a solid goaltender, but the playoffs are when you need your goaltenders to step up. Just like in the NFL, you need your quarterbacks to step up. Just like in uh, baseball, you need your starting pitching to step up in the postseason. And, um, you know, basketball, I'm I'm sure there's something. But uh, it's the one position where it can sink you if they are not playing at a high level. And Cam Talbot has been playing at a very high level. I mean, it's just been fun. I mean, the only one game maybe could have been Game 4. Um, but even then, I mean, he just had so many shots coming at him that <clears throat> the it really he did a great job given his circumstances. So I think it's I think Talbot deserves series MVP, no matter no matter what, even if the Wilds win. I, I think whoever wins, the goalies are going to get series MVPs just because of how brutal this series has been. This has been a tough defensive matchup. And I know there's things about the refs not giving calls and 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 whatnot, but here's the thing. It's a little bit of playoff hockey. Like, um, you know, the refs have had some unfair calls going towards the Wilds' way, but that hasn't lost them any games. Um, the When the Wild have lost games, it's been, been because of their inability to score off Flurry. Um, but... It's just been some tough playoff hockey. If you were drawing up a first round playoff matchup, This wouldn't be the one as a Wild fan you'd want, but it's one that's certainly entertaining. It's one that will be remembered because no matter if the Wild win or lose this series, they're playing with house money right now. Nobody was expecting them to really take it to game seven in this way, especially after going down 3-1. The Wild have shown that they can come back in series, which is something that other Wild teams in the past have not been able to do. Usually when they get down 3-1 like this, they just die and they say, all right, pack it up, let's try again next year, um, <clears throat> I think it's been, uh, is shown a great testament to Evison. it's been a great uh, testament just to the Wild leadership, and to this new crew, or at least this new kind of next wave, I should say, of Wild hockey, led by Kaprizov, and I know Kaprizov hasn't been spectacular in this series, but, um, you know, I, I still think it's just, he's getting his first playoff action, he's getting a lot of playoff action against a good team. I think, because no matter what, again, the Wild are playing with house money. If they lose this series, everybody was expecting them to lose. Nobody was nobody was realistically expecting them to take it to seven games the way that they're doing. And so even if they lose, it's like wow, they they took it to a team that you know outside of Colorado is expected to represent to be one of the representatives in the Stanley Cup Finals. So I mean, it it, it just goes to show you how great this series of hockey is and uh, just how well the Wild can be played. And if they can slay the dragon. In the sense of beating Vegas, knocking them out. Now they have to go to Colorado on Sunday. It's going to be a short turnaround time, only getting one off day. And there are pros and cons to that. Um, pros are is that your team is still fresh; like you, you get to kind of keep that momentum. Your team's feeling good. Um, Colorado's has they swept uh, St. Louis, so they've been on break for about a week. It feels like um, haven't really had to worry worry about uh, any of this kind of stuff. So I think for them, uh, you know, it could be rusty, but also they have a lot of rest um, where the Wild don't. Um, So it kind of depends on your perspective on that. But getting ahead of ourselves here in this game seven. Also, I think Parisi. um, Parisi did a great job setting up the Fiala goal, kind of getting that first pass to get it going. Um, Parisi, after being kind of a healthy scratch in the first couple games, I think I'm not the biggest Zach Parisi guy, but I think that his val- he's showing his value now kind of more than it feels like he really has in a long time, especially in the postseason for the wild. Just that gritty veteran presence that you know, making the smart plays, being in the smart spots on the ice. Um, I, I think, you know, it's something the wild have to incorporate more. I think not now, does that mean Parisi needs to be, you know, on the first line, leading in minutes, you know, I no, but um you still need to find a role for him and figure out what he can do to kind of strengthen Um, This team, because he does, he can make this team better, Um, just maybe not in the way that uh, maybe he wants to, but there's still a place for him to be on the ice, and there's no way he should be a healthy scratch um, for however long the Wild's postseason run continues in 2021. Um, Now, the one last thing I want to touch on, the Wild are undefeated in Game 7s, but that really doesn't mean anything. The Wild have only played like three or four Game 7s in franchise history, the latest one coming in 2014. And there's, again, besides like Parisi, Suter, there's really not a lot of other guys, maybe like two or three other guys who were on the ice for that series um, against Colorado. So it, it doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of like the Twins have lost this many straight postseason games. And, you know, for a lot of players in 2019 or 2017, they really weren't on those previous teams. So that streak, even though it still continues, didn't really matter to them. Like they weren't a part of it yet. And the same thing goes for the Wild. They don't get to be a part of the Game 7 Winners Club. Um, They don't get to be part of that history until they actually win one. It doesn't mean anything to them until they win. Um, But on the contrary, Vegas, the last two seasons, has blown 3-1 leads um, in the postseason. Um, They blew a 3-1 lead uh, to San Jose a couple years ago and lost. Um, They blew a 3-1 lead last season. I can't remember who it was against, but they ended up winning. Um, if, uh, I'm correct. And if somebody, uh, somebody wants to rebut that, they certainly can. Um, Vegas, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just, they kind of get ahead and they take their opponents lightly, or they just don't know how to close it out. Um, whatever the case is, we have a game seven and in these game sevens, it's a winner go home mentality. Anything can happen. Having a bad first period can sink the team. Like there's no, we have to come back and get them next game. It's this is it. Everything is on the line. And that's what's fun about it. So um, looking up uh, the, the time here for the Wild game tonight, if you uh, listen before the game, um, 8 p.m., NBCSN, um, maybe Bally Sports North. I have no idea. Um, and I don't have Bally Sports North. So NBCSN is where I'm going to be watching it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to be a great game. So just everybody – Everybody enjoy it. Um, One last thing on Cam Talbot. Goalies have been great. He's been great. Goalies need to be hot in the postseason. He just needs one more great game to get into this second round. Um, And the only concern I would have if the Wild win, besides the short rest to go into the next series, would be that they, you know, again, the short rest, carrying over that momentum. But just in the sense of the Minnesota Vikings after the Minneapolis Miracle, you kind of burn out all your momentum, or you, you know, you're just team is on such an emotional roller coaster, and they're just on such a high that like it's really hard to come back down from that. Um, to a lesser extent, you can maybe say the Twins in 2009 after winning Game 163, um, you know, Luke getting swept by the Yankees just barely putting up a fight. Um, that could also just be the Twins weren't for the Twins playoff runs they weren't that good. The Yankees went on to win the World Series that year, um, but either way um if they do win tonight and they win it in like a 2 to 1 or one nothing game uh late in the third period just make sure that that emotional high doesn't uh have an have a negative impact coming into the next series or it doesn't just emotionally drain you so you, you know you're just exhausted by the time you get to uh by the time you get to Colorado so we'll see what happens uh go wild though um all right So moving on now, we're going to move on to the Twins here. The Twins are starting to hit their stride. I really think they are. Um, Sano has finally found his swing, and that's just kind of who Sano is. He's a streaky Adam Dunn. I think that's – I've kind of waited to hold off. I've made the joke before he's like Adam Dunn. Um, For those of you who don't know, Adam Dunn, Slugger, played for the Nationals, the White Sox. I'm sure he had a couple other teams in there. Um, He was a guy who – he was a big dude, could mash the ball. The only problem was he struck out a lot, and that's been Miguel Sano's downfall in his career. Um, I think, and this is without doing a deep dive into the numbers, um, is Adam Dunn, Miguel Sano, are those two guys comparable? Um, I would say Adam Dunn didn't feel as streaky, but then again, didn't really watch him that closely until he really got with the White Sox, and even then didn't really watch him that closely. Miguel Sano just feels like a streakier Adam Dunn. Feels like he just has that... Um, where he can just go so cold that it's a, a detriment to put him in your lineup. He can maybe get you a walk in a game, but for the most part he's going to strike out, he's going to strike out badly, he will not make solid contact. But when he does start to make solid contact, he launches balls into orbit. He just I mean he he's such a plus to your team that you wish you could have him bat, you know, twice in the order. Um, you know, have him bat twice in the starting nine. I you know, he And that's so frustrating with him is you can see the great player. And it's kind of like that with Buxton too. You can see the great player in there. You see what it is that makes them great. Um, And then you just don't see it enough. And that's the frustrating part. It's almost as, you know, it's not the frustrating case of like, oh, we never saw this. We, you know, know," or or a bust who we never saw any potential with. So it's really easy to dump them. It's hard to try and. If you're a person who wants to move on from Buxton or Sano, it's really hard to do that because they show those flashes of talent, and they're so great, and you can see them. It's like these guys can be building blocks around a team, and then when they're on their lows, it's like we can't work with them at all, Um, and that's been Miguel Snow, But Snow has been finding his swing. The Twins have uh, kind of benefited from an easier schedule. I know they won two out of three in Cleveland, who's in second place, but they recently just swept Baltimore. Uh, they've won like 17 straight against the Orioles. The Orioles are still in the middle of a rebuild. They're bad, but you don't have to apologize for it. Now they have a three-game series at home against the Royals, who just fell under the 500 mark. Um, you know, the Royals, are they're a team that's probably going to be probably about where they're one game below 500 right now. Um, And I could see them ending the season somewhere kind of close to that, or like a team that wins about 78 to 83 games. They're a team that's good enough to not be really bad, but they're not a team that's realistically going to compete for a playoff spot. Um, So it's still games. I think, I believe the twins according to fan graphs are favored um, in all three games and the twins then go to Baltimore again for a th- or they played Baltimore at home, now they go to Baltimore for a three-game series, and then they go to Kansas City for a four-game series. And the Twins are favored to win all those games according to fan graphs, except for two of those in Kansas City. Um, and even then, it's like a 48 49% chance, so it's still a toss-up. Um, the Twins obviously aren't going to win all of the stretch they've played Baltimore and the Royals is 13 games. So far, they're 3-0. and They're not going to go 13-0. But if they can go like 10-3 and three in that stretch, it still doesn't push them that close to the 500 mark, but it kind of gets them close enough. It gets them to be like, okay, this team, I mean, coming into this week, the Twins were in last place in the uh, Central, one of the worst records in baseball. And again, they were, the Tigers were ahead of them in the standings. The Twins should be nowhere near the Detroit Tigers in the standings when the season's all said and done. The Twins, have, again, some had probably sunk their season in May, they, but towards the end of May they have a chance to try and make something of it, to at least make it some kind of competitive. Um, the, the one downside, and even if the Twins do win 10 out of the next 13, heck, if they even win the 13 in a row, which, again, unlikely, um, the bullpen has still been an issue, even in the games against Baltimore. I, um, all three games, the Twins have given up runs late. Um, the Twins have just had the offense been able to kind of overcompensate and kind of pad their leads for them for the most part. Um Tw- Hansel Robles gave up a run in the ninth inning uh, on Wednesday. The Twin uh, Jorge Alcala gave up a go-ahead home run in the eighth, and he was lucky that the Twins followed with like six in the bottom half of the inning. Um, you know, it's it, it's just stuff like that where it's like Rogers has not been able to close out games, Robles hasn't been able to close out games, Colome hasn't been able to close out games, um, Alcala you know hasn't been able to do it as much either. Um, the, I'm more I'm okay with the closer by committee thing. I actually think it's a good idea. But the problem is when going closer by committee is the Twins, when they try and say, okay, well, let's try Rodgers. Well, that's not working. Well, let's try well, That's not working. Let's try Colome. That's not working. Robles, it's kind of working, but it's really not. They don't have anyone to turn to. And the problem is, is it's really too late to go and add a big piece. You're kind of stuck with what you have right now. There is, unless you call up a minor league arm, which I really don't know how many of the minor league arms really are ready at this point to come up and contribute, and are you really calling up a rookie to come in and pitch high-leverage innings when you're trying to claw yourself back into any kind of relevancy? They're just kind of stuck. They kind of have to roll with what they have right now, uh, for better or worse. Um, I don't know. It, it's still an issue. It, the They didn't address their bullpen well enough, or at least the signings they brought in to address it have just fallen flat, whether it's Colomay or Robles. Um, you know, you lost Trevor May. You lost Sergio Romo. You lost... Um, You lost Matt Whistler. Tyler Duffy's regressed. I mean, it's nowhere near the bullpen of 2019 or 2020. And that's been the real – but that and the starter's ERA has been the big reason why your team is the way it is right now. Now, the starting pitching is kind of starting to rebound. Schumacher's had a couple decent starts lately. I still think he gets DFA'd at some – the moment he has a bad start and Kenta comes off the IL. Um, But – Again, you know, Randy Dobnek's came in and pitched so far, well, so far since he's been uh, kind of put back into the starting rotation where he belonged, by the way. Um, so I, I think the pitching staff still probably has sunk the season enough, but I think on the offensive side, there still is enough to keep you watching. Um, Kirloff and Larnick's development, Alex Kirloff, Trevor Larnick, two top prospects, um, it was expected that we would see both of them um, at some point this season. I think it's been great to see that they're contributing. Um, so far I know Larnik, is he's kind of hit or miss but he's starting to find his swing he's starting to get his at bats in here he's starting to kind of uh, kind of find his swing he's been he's hit his first couple home runs over the last week um you know he'll get there um Kirilov had a, a handful of more at bats but Kirillov and again this is against like Baltimore but still they've been able to mash pitching they're able to get confidence up at the plate um and I think it's been something that's been helping them out a lot. Um, we still don't have long-term homes for Kirloff and Larnick. We really – feasibly, we really don't know where the Twins see them as because the Twins are, you know, with injuries and with trying to plug holes right now. Um, you know, it, if I were the Twins, I would pencil in Larnick as the everyday left fielder, keep Buxton in center, Kepler in right, and then I would move Kirloff to first base and put Sano into the DH hole. That would just – it feel like the quickest fix. It feel like the easiest thing – Sano can still play DH. Larnett can still play, or um, Kirilov can still play the outfield at times. Um, But yeah, it it just feels like you know, it feels like that can work. Um, Sano can even play third, fill in for Donaldson from time to time. Donaldson can DH. He can play third. I mean, it feels like it's something that could work. Or you can kind of go back to the DH by committee. Maybe, heck, maybe you move Donaldson to DH and put Sano at third. I would rather have Donaldson there, despite his um, terrible defense so far this year. Um, but I think Kirilov and Larnick are the biggest things. Even if you are a person who doesn't believe what I believe and thinks that the Twins really are dead, their season's cooked um, for any kind of postseason run, the one thing that should still keep you watching should be Kirilov and Larnik. And Royce Lewis is hurt. He tore his ACL, but he'll be on the way soon. Um, you have Kirilov and Larnik, those two guys— are going to be enough to make you want to watch the game, to make you want to turn on the TV, to make you want to go to the ballpark, seeing their development and kind of seeing what the twins view them as long term. So I think that's something that's fun to watch. Also uh, go ref Snyder, Rob ref Snyder, uh, single-handedly saving the twin season, filling in center field, a position he's never played at the big league level before. Um, doing a great job. And I think it b- bodes bad news for Jake Cave, who probably will get DFA'd. Um, when he gets off the IL, but he's going to be on the IL for a while. So that'll be something we'll have to focus on later on this summer. All right, uh, wrapping up the podcast here, we got a couple more sports to talk about. Um, the Lynx, they have an 0 3 start right now. And uh, I know, first time talking about the Lynx on the podcast, it was actually a request uh, by one of our listeners. So I um, figure, you know, might as well. Uh, their season just started up, so it's a good time to kind of talk about them here. Um, not the start that they wanted, again, 0 3. Um, you know, especially after last year and kind of the turnaround that they've had, um, kind of rebuilding. Um, now they're, you know, kind of put themselves in a hole so far. They took a week break. They haven't played a game since May 20th. So it's probably a good thing for them just to kind of maybe take that break, maybe uh, have Cheryl Reeve kind of try and fix some stuff, kind of see what's going on. Um, but I think when you're 0-3, I think, it's, I think it's a lot better to have a week off break when you're down more than when you're feeling good because sometimes it can, you know, just – Reese, it, a week off kind of hits the reset button for better or worse. And for them, it, uh, it can't be a negative at this point. Um, so, you know, and I, I'll be honest, I haven't been paying attention. I haven't been glued to the TV for every Lynx game so far this year. So I can't, you know, sit there and break down why has been the reason for the 0 and 3 start. Um, but the thing is, is they're 0 and 3 right now. And, uh, they also had an injury here. Uh, I'm going to scroll down uh, to kind of get the stats here. Um, but uh the Lynx announced um that uh Ariel Powers um has uh you know sustained a left hamstring strain and will be out indefinitely. The Lynx announced that yesterday. Um she was averaging 11 points, five rebounds um and 27 minutes on the floor this season. So obviously somebody who spent a considerable amount of time on the court um to replace her. Um they signed they brought in a veteran, they brought in uh Laisha uh Clarderon uh Clarendon I'm sorry if I butchered that name. Um but they brought her in. Um she's 30 years old. She's a veteran. Um trying to there's an ESPN article here that I'm just kind of reading off of just to kind of get some stats here. Um So we'll s- kind of see how this goes. Um the for- she's a former All-Star started 19 of the team's 20 games in 2020 when she was playing for the New York Liberty. Um you know she averaged a career high eleven and a half points. So just kind of trying to bring a veteran in, just kind of trying to fill that gap. So we'll kind of see what happens with that. We'll see if they can kind of turn it around because they're playing the Seattle Storm tonight um, in their first game back. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, the because they are four and one um, so far in the season. Seattle is, and the last time the Lynx played them was actually their last game on uh, the twentieth, which they ended up losing by twelve. Um, and we'll just kind of see what happens because now they have a game today, they'll have a game Sunday, um, and then kind of take a little bit of a break again. So I think for them, uh, it's just kind of showing improvement, kind of trying to see what they can do. You're trying to at least just get that first win in the season, just kind of get the monkey off your back, I think, is if you're the Lynx, that's, if you're Cheryl Reeve, that's what you're doing, is just get that first win on the board and go from there. Um, tough task tonight on the road in Seattle, but we'll see. So a late night for Minnesota sports fans, Wild are on at 8, um, Lynx are on at 9, um, so if you're, uh, you know, grab a cup of coffee or a Mountain Dew or something like that, stay up late, watch some Minnesota sports. Um, one sport that is not having any games uh, today, uh, because we talk about Twins Wild, links. the Vikings are in OTAs right now. Couldn't do OTAs last season. They were all virtual because of COVID. Um, now with uh, vaccinations and protocols being kind of lifted, um, they're able to practice again. And most of the players have shown up. I know it was a league-wide thing. Some players weren't going to show up. Um, Because of COVID and um, really it's a bargaining chip for the players union um, to basically, you know, just create more off time for players, which that's their prerogative. I'm not not getting into the whole NFL union spiel here, but um, uh, basically uh, some veterans around the league kind of threatened that they weren't going to come. A lot of them, I think for the most part have, and I'm not trying to sound like pro team or something like that, but um, I think it's great that uh, players get there and they kind of get that time in for the rookies, especially. Uh, the rookies need this mini camp time. I know they just had rookie mini camp to try and kind of intro. And again, this for non, you know, diehard NFL fans, the rookie mini camp is kind of held a week after the draft, a couple weeks after the draft, um, gives teams a chance to kind of introduce rookies to their system and to their playbook and to how they do practice. And more importantly, gives the coaches a chance to really kind of get to know a lot of these rookies. They've They get their first chance to coach them and they get a lot more one-on-one interaction because it's just a group of rookies and practice squad players. Um, So they really get a chance uh, to kind of see what they have and kind of see what they want, kind of what they're, you know, if they feel like they can work with some of these rookies or kind of what their thing is, again, introduce them to the playbook, all that good stuff. So that way when the veterans get here, it can just be a practice. Nobody's having to, you know, you're not having so much to try and teach people. It's more, okay, now let's go. Like we got to go. Um and I think that's been good because also it gives the rookies a chance to gel um with the veterans. And um, you know, uh Darissa and Davis, Christian Derisaw, the Vikings first round draft pick, left tackle, uh Riley Reeves' replacement, even took his number. Um and Wyatt Davis, third round pick, guard, uh great kind of draft steal for the Vikings, had a second round grade on him. Uh ended up falling in the third to them. Um he's expected to probably play a right guard. Um so But they've both been practicing with the twos, Um, the second team, the backups, if you will. Um, The first team, the starters, uh, they've been, you know, it's been Rashad Hill at left tackle and I believe Dakota Dozier at guard. Um, And before Vikings fans grab their pitchforks and torches and go to TCO and Egan, um, I think it's just important to remember that it is still, you know, even though rookie minicamp is over, um, Clint Kubiak, the Vikings' new offensive coordinator, uh, you know, it's basically said, we got to make them earn it. We got to make them get their spot. And I think that's just coach talk, um, a little bit. I think, you know, I think sometimes coaches get too enthralled in the coach talk and the we got to make them earn their spot. Zimmer, uh, said in the press conferences multiple times, Darisaw and Davis, they really have to earn it. We're not gifting them anything. And I think that's good. I think that's good to a point. I think you don't want to just hand these young kids the keys to the car. You got to kind of make them come in, earn their spots. So that way when they do get penciled into the lineup, because they will, um, they, you know, their teammates around and feel like they've earned it. They've, and the coaches have more confidence knowing that they kind of had to battle for it. Um, You know, make some kind of practice harder, work harder, whatever. Um, But I think you can't do that forever. You're not going to be rolling into week one and, you know, being like, well, Rashad Hill is going to be the starting left tackle. And the Vikings have done that before. I mean, heck, Justin Jefferson was the best rookie, rookie wide receiver we've seen in a long time, especially for Vikings fans. And he didn't play the first three, like two weeks. He was just non-existent because the Vikings like to kind of slow cook their rookies. Um, but I, I really think Christian Dersaw has to be the starting left tackle. I think Rashad Hill can you know play well in spurts. I think he's a good backup tackle. He's a good guy that can fill in on either one. I think Dakota Dozier should be nowhere near the field when the season starts. But, you know, I, I think it's good to a point. I think it's fine for now, but even towards the end of the mini – even towards the end of OTAs, when you get into the mini camps, uh, the full-team mini camps, then when you get to training camp in August, I really think you just have to be rolling with Christian Derrissaw and Wyatt Davis in your starting lineups, in with the first teams, in with the starters, make them earn it in these rookie mini camps, maybe even for like the first week of training camp. But I, I really think when the pads come on and when you're doing the full-speed contact, you need – those guys, in. more importantly, not just for them to get the reps with the first team, but also to to work with their, uh, well, to work with their counterparts, to work with, uh, uh Ezra Cleveland, who's going to be a left guard, Christian Darosai. They're both are going to need to, you know, figure out, okay, how fast is the guy next to me? How do I need to time this? You know, how do I need to account for him? You know, doing this or that, um, and especially even on the interior with Wyatt Davis. Um, whether it's uh, you know whether it's Bradbury to his left at center, whether it's Brian O'Neill um, at right tackle, you just you need to kind of get that offensive line is one of the most intriguing positions in that way is it's kind of five guys all trying to do the same thing, but they need to kind of figure out how to work with each other to really do that well. And I think you need to give them that time. Um, so anyway, last thing I'm going to touch on here in the podcast is OTAs. With OTAs, is Daniil Hunter has been a no show so far. And that's not great. Uh Daniil Hunter, the best defensive player on this team outside of Eric Hendricks and Harrison Smith. Um, But again, Daniil Hunter probably is number one. Um, He's he's hasn't been there. There's been the reports over the win over the winter of he's upset with his contract. He's gonna, you know, blah blah blah. Call and then there's a report that he called Mike Zimmer, said we're all good, said it's nothing personal, like we're just, you know, we just feel like we want to raise. And to his credit, fair, he deserves a raise. I mean, uh, Joey Bosa, they look at Joey Bosa's numbers and Daniil Hunter's only making like half of what Joey Bosa makes. And Daniil Hunter is better than Joey Bosa and has a better career track record than Joey Bosa. But he's not getting paid that as much because he kind of took more of a hometown discount when he signed that contract a few years ago when the Vikings were like on the cusp of a Super Bowl. And it was his first big contract and he was a very young player. And he's still young. He's still in his mid-20s. So he's like, all right, I want to get re-upped or I'm going to I want to get traded to a team that's going to re up me and give me more money that I deserve that he has earned. Now he's coming up neck surgery so the Vikings can point to that but I really think realistically Zimmer loves Hunter. Zimmer lo- I mean Zimmer's a defensive guy. He knows what Hunter can bring to the table. They're going to make this work. I I rarely will I don't think that there'll be a situation where the Vikings don't make this work. The guy Zimmer really likes, the Anthony Bars, the Dalvin Cooks you know, and if Zimmer wants them on their team, he will pound the table for them and they will make it work. You know, Dalvin Cook, there were questions about his contract extension. Will he get one and all this kind of stuff. Zimmer was like, you know, Zimmer said Dalvin Cook is, in, is the focal point of our offense. We will resign him. We will make it work. Anthony Barr. Um, I don't care what the numbers look like. We, we, I want to bring Anthony Barr back. And Daniil Hunter too. I think Daniil Hunter is too important of a player to where you just say, well, we'll find another one. Um especially if your year where the Vikings had no defensive uh, pass rush because Daniel Hunter was hurt. So they're they're going to work it out. It's not a problem in uh in April, May, you know, that he May that he's not here, even June. If it's August and training camp rolls around and Daniil Hunter's not there, and you get closer and closer to the preseason games, then yeah, I'm gonna be concerned. But for now. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this. Adrian Peterson never went to the rookie mini camps um, because he was a physical freak of nature and was like, I'm just going to do my own thing. Now, granted, this is a little bit of a different reason, but Daniel Hunter is also a freak of nature. He doesn't need the OTAs. Um, he doesn't, or at least just not as much as the other players do. Um, he needs to be back for training camp when they put the full pads on and go full speed. But for running around in shorts and the weird white helmets, leather heads that they're running around in, he's fine. Um, all right, well that about does it here for the Minnesota Sports Podcast. We're gonna have more to break down as uh, kind of the weeks go on. Go Wild, go Lynx, go Twins, um, Vikings. Hopefully, Daniel Hunter can work his contract thing out. Um, we'll have it all uh, next. We'll have it all here next week, kind of breaking it all down. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.